Welcome to The Perfect Blend, the podcast where we pair the books we read with a delicious cup of tea. I'm Shelley Haskell. And I'm Candy Beaker. Good day, everybody. Thanks Hello. for joining us. I'm Shelley. And I'm Candy. And we're mm-hmm. going to finish up March Mysteries with an oldie but a goodie. Yep. <laughs> the, the Murder of what Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie. We both want to thank you for giving us a listen, and we would love it if you would leave us some comments or book suggestions on our Spotify or leave a five-star review on Apple and Spotify if you enjoy uh, listening to us. Thank you so much. Yeah, give us some feedback. We'd love to We'd love to hear what you want to hear. Roger Ackroyd was a man who knew too much. He knew the woman he loved had poisoned her first husband. He knew something, someone was blackmailing her, and now he knew she had taken her own life with a drug overdose. Soon, the Evening Post would let him know who the mystery blackmailer was, but Ackroyd was dead before he finished reading it, stabbed through the neck where he sat in the study. Dun, dun, dun. So what are you drinking today, Candy? You know, I really wanted an Earl Grey and I searched through the plethora <laughs> the cabinet. of teas that I have and I had no Earl Grey. I was very upset about that. So I have just a lemon detox tea, which probably is good for me anyway, because I'm a little bit under the weather, but I really wanted something British. Mine is traditional medicinals. They have some really good varieties of teas and mm-hmm. they're good ones to have on hand if you want healthy benefits from your tea i tell you you probably need the lemon from all these allergies and pollen that's happening right now it's it's crazy out there i think that's what it is being outside Mm. working in the yard all the time i'm full up so i am drinking a traditional pearl gray like you said but it's a bigelow's and Uh they're one of my favorite bag teas bigelow's i like them they have they're like so traditional, right? They have all the right. flavors that you probably have drank all the time. I love the constant comment and I love the Earl Grey and there's the vanilla chai. I like all their flavors. This one, I just threw some a bit of ginger and lemon and honey in it because I too feel like I needed a little bit of perking up the day. So I like it. Delicious. Good. Traditional, yummy, citrusy. Back to originally yep. scheduled. Part. So this was controversial for its time in 1926 I... because it broke the traditional rules of mystery writing and you mentioned that she was in that detective club and they had their rules for writing detective novels and she broke the rules he had an unreliable narrator which i guess that was knox's kind of Felt like that was not a thing that you should do. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of frowned upon, but the fans loved it. Absolutely loved it. And in 2013, many, many, many years later, it was voted best crime no- novel ever written by the Crime Writers Association. And it was mm. the first book published by William Collins in 1926. And he would later become part of Harper Collins Publishing, which is still around today. She probably made him what he was. Probably. <laughs> she brought it to him, right? She was this lucky charm. Yes. So I had some interest interesting facts. I didn't want to go into her life history and all that stuff because there's just so much about her, right? Right. But some interesting facts that I came across is that she does hold the Guinness World Record for most copies sold by a fiction writer and she's over 2 billion and still climbing, right? A hundred years later. And that the term cozy fiction was first applied to her. And I was so glad to hear this because I always questioned what this term meant in a way, but it's for closed locations, like a manor house where all the the comings and goings are inside that one location and you're tying 
killing the people in there based on the murder. So it's also sometimes called a closed room mystery. Although uh, some of her characters can be typical stereotypes that she uses. And sometimes she's kind of been uh, criticized for her lack of different characters. She uses that to trick the reader mm-hmm. that they're they're going to assume certain things and she knows their assumptions. And then so she plays on those uh, unsaid assumptions to help tie her novels along her and her trick of the end. So I, I think it works. I do too. I love all Agatha Christie books. And I think one of the reasons I like them so much is you get that little uh, fly on the wall of a manor house and the runnings of a manor house and the people of that time. I mean, that was the 1920s. You have all the art deco and you have all the things going on. And it's just really a neat time. It's an interesting time in history because we have traditional roles of class system, but there's also the industrial ages here. So it's kind of that Downton Abbey time where you've got traditional roles, but you also have the differing, different uh, workers and wealth distribution. So it's just yes. interesting and it does come into play. All right. So I'm going to go through the list to characters. Okay. Are you ready, people? Keep a list. <laughs> You're writing this down. So Roger Ackroyd, title in the title of the book, and he is our victim. We have Dr. Shepard, who is our narrator. Caroline is his sister. We have Hercule Poirot. My favorite Hercule Poirot is David Suchet. I just love him as Hercule Poirot. If you've ever watched any of the Agatha Christie mysteries with him, they made a series out of them. Mm-hmm. Love it. I love it. I've never, I've never watched them. Oh, uh, Miss <laughs> Flora Ackroyd is Roger Ackroyd's niece, and Mrs. Ackroyd is Roger's sister-in-law. Parker's the butler. Miss Russell is the housekeeper. Ralph Ackroyd is Roger's stepson and Flora's fiance. Ursula Bourne is the parlor maid. Joffrey Raymond is Roger Ackroyd's secretary. Major Hector Blunt is a guest, and Mrs. Farrars, who starts everything rolling. So this is. Um, the- Fourth Hercule Poirot book of the movie. Oh, okay. And it was um, it was kind of neat because he'd retired from the detective life. He wanted to grow vegetable marrow, which I, I had found to look that up. <laughs> zucchini. I was like, what in the world is that? Uh-huh. It kind of because it sounds kind of, you know, you say I think bone marrow. It's like, mm-hmm. oh but it's just zucchini or squash. They want to grow the vegetable marrow. <laughs> Yeah. So I, at the beginning, well, Caroline cracks me up. I have to say. She is something. She is, she totally comes off like a a movie character to me of of that same era of movies, you know, the the 30s or whatever, where they're that crazy kind of high strung woman who's, I don't know, like a Betty Davis or something, you know, she's just fast talking and and she's, she's she's a busy body. She's she's a busy body. She's proper, but she's chastising um, to Shepard quite a bit. And I think Shepard is a little bit put out that she seems to know more more about things and he says you know she has her like investigators or her circuit of spies or whatever he called it that come to her like the milkman tells her what's happening at one house to another and it's interesting how she does that it's kind of like she knows that she's not in that upper level class but she does things to she's a busybody and she's in everybody's business she she has her little you're right she has her little network but you know those are the people who know stuff because they're the they invi- do. they're the invisible people 
who knew what was going on, but, you know, the upper crust never paid attention to them unless they wanted something and they were careless in things that they said and, and did. So she, she really knew how to work her network, but it's like, um, it, they both had the resentment. She, I think maybe she resented James for not being more and James resented her for being a busybody and a gossip and, and half the time being right. <laughs> <laughs> and just right. pushing him all the time. You know, she wanted him to be more and he just wanted to be left alone. Kind of dreamed of the adventurous life. And it's kind of like he felt he was stuck with her. He was kind of stuck with her. And but you know what? In a in a way, he and Roger, you know, are doubles in this situation. He Roger also had his niece that he had to contend with. And in this way, we've got uh, Shepard and Caroline, and then we have Roger and Flora and the dynamics between those two family relations in a way that, you know, although Caroline's Shepard's sister, but when a woman is not married and one person is in charge of the household, there's not other men in charge of the household financially. It can lead to some very strange dynamics at that time. Oh my um, gosh. You're talking about um, his sister-in-law, Mrs. Ackroyd. Oh my well, God. Yeah, but I was really thinking she of, was a piece of work. She was, but well, I was thinking of how a floor too, but yeah, either way, yeah. it's the same situation because the women don't have any means of really making money. They're only using it. And then they have in order to, they're almost like another house like if you want to keep up your house and a level of appearances you also have to keep up the women in that house mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's exhausting i would think it's crazy and caroline's you know they seem to be comfortable enough but mrs Ackroyd is just she's that narcissist all about me poor me i'm the martyr i never have enough he's so stingy and it's like i would not want to be anywhere near you i don't blame roger on that just quit bugging me <laughs> i didn't like mrs Ackroyd. can I, I you had, tell i, I did not I, like I did not like Mrs. Ackroyd either, but I can sympathize with her in the sense that she has got a daughter that hopefully she'd get married. She's trying to marry her off. And and at, the, at that time, you've got to have an idea of what would be there to sustain you should this one sole person pass on at any point. You know, people die at any time, right? So got to think about that. And it was beyond her to have that conversation. I guess it's beyond the acceptable conversation. I don't know that Caroline and Shepard would have had that conversation. I don't know why. Maybe Flora, maybe um, Mrs. Ackroyd, the mother, just always was talking to him about money. <laughs> maybe that was it. Like she needed more, she needed more. And that's why he went and talked to her. I don't know. It was just a strange dynamic in that time that women could not ask for their financial situation to be revealed upon, you know, a turn of bad events. I don't know. Maybe it was just their family dynamics in the Ackroyd house. But I do sympathize with her a little bit, even though she may be a nervous and maybe she's a manic spender. Maybe it is a more of a problem that we don't really know that. But you get the idea. The, get that the idea that, that there's something more that she may be just a crazy bender, never having enough. Yeah. It was like she's irresponsible. And well, she's his brother's yeah. widow. Right. And he evidently wasn't as good with things, the weaker of the brothers. Uh -huh. I think it was said. Yeah, but he's having to take care of her. And yeah, and I get that. That's a that's not a place I would ever, I mean, I would buck against that if I had to you know, get what's ever parceled out to me and be grateful for it. It's it's kind of, a, it's a no-win situation. So Ackroyd is a manufacturer and they mentioned that he's a manufacturer of wagon wheels. So that might lead you to believe 
believe that he's a great manufacturer and he probably has got quite a bit of money. But this is also at a time when, you know, maybe wagon wheels are going away and cars are coming through. I'm not real sure. So he is a, in a situation that might be at the end of its time. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if there's some uh, social comment on that particular piece by Christie or not, but it's interesting. It's interesting uh, in this time period. So did you figure it out before he got to the end? Uh, yes. And then no. <laughs> Because there was a couple of things. Look, I, I almost thought at any time all the women were it, you know? Mm-hmm. I just felt like there's several women on here that I was like, yep. And they talked about how don't be deceived by a woman's demeanor, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, mm-hmm. And then there was a couple of clues when Perot said, so these four people did not reveal their secret when I when I told them they had to tell me. Two people did and two people didn't. And one we knew who didn't. And the other one we knew there was somebody that's not saying anything at that point. And And he kind of had an idea Mm -hmm. of who it was then. But did that actually mean that person was the murderer? I don't know. Then we went on and on. And looking back, it was interesting. He tried really hard to be so in the know every step of the way that he could lead the discussion. Uh And he wrote down everything. He was being like Dr. Watson from Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. Watson and writing everything down. But he was doing it for the sole purpose of being Hercule Poirot's first failure. That was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, I'm comfortable with talking about who it is because I feel like a bazillion people have read this book and I'm just the last in line. So we'll give away the ending. The reason why this was so controversial is because the person who is narrating this is the person who did it. And so the narration is leading us in directions that dies away from his motives or his doings. And I was, I actually was very sad at the end about that. Um, I, I did not see his motives. I did not see him as the, not just the perpetrator of murder, but a blackmail. And then I was, I was just sad because it was such a blight on his character that I did not, I didn't see. And I, and I, I didn't want to see that. I did not want to see him as that kind of a person. I, yeah, I was part- hoping that he was going to come out and I was like, oh, he's going to be like, what was Hercule's partner? Stings? I thought, mm-hmm. oh, maybe he's going to be his new Hastings and they can start a, they'd be working out some cold cases in Kent or wherever they're at. <laughs> I, and so I just wanted more for him. And I, I was, I was really kind of let down by that. It uh, is a sad ending. Murder. Yeah. Not the, not just the murder, but the blackmail. That that was such a blight on his character. And I, and again, I'm trying to figure out why. Goodness sakes, he's a surgeon, but obviously maybe not a very good one or maybe just in a poor town and they didn't make much. You know, I don't know. They didn't give you much of that background i mean he seems well off mm-hmm. well the first time i read it i was like you i was just gobsmacked that the person who'd been telling the story the whole time was the person who did it and hercule says about somebody's character that they go along and they're fine and then they see an opportunity for doing something evil and they jump on it and you know they can still be rectified but then if the opportunity comes again because of the way their character is and he was you know at the end that hercule had already suspected him and he pulls him in and talks about hastings i think to try to throw him off to get him to 
to open up to him and to be friendly or you know what I mean he he never well, he ever, must have known he never that. ever suspected that Hercule was on to him but he says Hercule said at the end that it was in the when he talked about the time that 10 minute that discrepancy is what got Hercule thinking and the phone call and the phone call so first I thought the phone call was fake like at one point I did think okay this is Shepard he faked that phone call I don't know maybe he's trying to I don't know protect Miss Russell I think one of them that he kind of liked I think but I was like okay so somebody called him and then nobody called him nobody that was a fake phone call maybe he made up the phone call because there was no way to say that that somebody did call him but then they found out that somebody actually did call and then I was like okay so this is somebody's accomplice so we're looking for two people we're looking right. for probably a couple that might be doing some um blackmailing right mm-hmm. or maybe a couple who doesn't want to get married that are already married that doesn't want to get married to somebody else <laughs> She just throws you red herrings all the time. And and you're constantly like, okay, I'm trying to keep up with everybody's motive and everybody's secret and trying to figure out who had the best motive to want to kill him. And it just, you've read, once you've read it and you go back and pay attention to the narrator, Mm -hmm. it's what he doesn't say in between what he's saying that you start to catch on to. Yeah. So it was, I still love it. And I still, and it's been, it's been a long time since I read it so when when it gets to the ending i forgot how exactly it ended i mean i know i know the who done it i could read this next year and i might forget who it is. <laughs> i remember the first time i read it i was just like i said i was gobsmacked what how is that possible well i the structure of the story one of the things as i was looking at it um structurally i saw there was a murder, which is the original murder of Mrs. Ferris's husband. And then there was a blackmail and then there was a suicide. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened pretty much prior to the beginning of the story. Then we have murder, which we find out about. We find out about black the uh, blackmail and then at the end a suicide. And I also can tell you, I feel like uh, Perot is a bit of a blackmailer. Do you? I do. What makes you say that? Because I felt like he said, you better kill yourself or I'm going to tell the police. I got you. And the only way that your fa- your Caroline and your reputation is, you know, you're going to admit it and it's going to be done. And then, the, you know, her money will be safe or whatever. Because she could go into ridicule and ruin. Really. Exactly. I think he was trying to save her. And so there was a good reason for it. But I think his hands are not clean. Because if he was doing it on the up and up, he would have said, come get him right now. It's True. Not my, not my job to pass his punishment. There's a moral code with him that he is tolerant in some respects. If you read enough of him, you see that not everything that he does is, he could have turned him in, but had he turned him in, that would have ruined Caroline's life. And he didn't want to do that. And his reputation. the doctor's reputation right really caroline would have been and and she's like a major hub of the village um she is and i don't know if he's gonna have i don't know what her life will be like now ah, i read too much past it right but i'm i'm using my little gray cells <laughs> i must keep using my little gray cells and I, oh gosh he's so condescending to shepherd so many times you you are not using your little gray cells do not be stupid <laughs> He's like, yes, I am not stupid. Thank the good God. He's like that. 
<laughs> he's like that all of them he's he's funny he's a peculiar guy i would have to watch some of the i i have seen snippets or know a few things about it but no i'm i'm not uh very versed in any of uh, uh agatha christie's stuff i think i've seen a few uh miss marple movies and i i think i i enjoyed her as a character in the movies mm-hmm. i have not read the books i think perot is i i don't know he's hard he's he's very logical i get it but um he's condescending so i guess by nature of his intelligence it's a second thought to be kind sometimes i think he's just straight up i'm smarter than you you have not figured it out no you have not figured it out yet okay well we're gonna go on for another two days and i'm gonna drag this out and get all of you in a group and let's think about this again has anybody else decided to be honest you know it's just an interesting situation and kind of humorous yeah well he takes a lot of flack because everybody calls him that frenchman with the funny mustache and people make fun of him all the time because of his outer outward appearance and his idiosyncrasies but as far as his intelligence goes yes he is it's grating at times but he is very aware of politeness and etiquette and things like that he's very very particular there are times when he's very kind to people who might be his suspects Mm. that is true i think he likes to make sure everybody gets to the truth and admits it to him before he will say what he believes he he needs admissions as evidence that's Mm -hmm. that's what his final piece like if he can't get you to admit it he's going to keep going until he gets all the clues in front of you and you have to say that this is it right like right he he has to and he and he has he may start telling a story or he might ask you something ambiguous and in doing that get you to bring down your guard so that you say something that helps him put the puzzle pieces together. You give him a bit of information that doesn't fit the puzzle, then he's going to start digging. And he's digging while he's, you don't know he's digging. He's very, he's a wily little character is what he is. He doesn't seem capable of some of the wiliness that he does, but he's wily. So when we have, we kind of jumped ahead a little bit. Um, I would like to say that Major Blunt, the African hunter guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the one who does all the animal hunting, he's like a safari man. He was a very interesting, I guess he's just a red herring, but he was a very interesting character to me. And I like the way that that storyline played out as if he was wanting some more money and maybe through through Flora and, uh, and then the murder weapon was something that he probably brought from Africa or that he definitely knew about the knife and all of that. That was real interesting. I thought for sure that he and Flora were a better match than Flora and um, Ralph. Definitely. Poor Ralph. I know. The whole time and we hardly see him. You hear a little bit about him from people that have seen him or talked to him at the beginning and he doesn't come in till the end but the whole time everything points to Ralph. He's missing and we find out in the middle of this that he was married to Ursula and secretly also engaged to, to Flora. So, <laughs> sorry, I don't know if if Shepard knew that he was married to Ursula. I guess he did because he was really in confidence with him. Maybe I just missed him saying that. He might have when he met with him. Mm-hmm. Flora. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, Flora, to me, even though she was not in a good position, she was very matter of fact about her, Ralph, her situation. We're weak people. We're going <laughs> to take, take the easy path every time. 
It's just what we do. I have to stand beside him because of that. And she was, you know, very openly admitted it. And, you know, Butler, he, Blunt, not Butler, Blunt is just kind of besotted with her and resigned to the fact that she's going to marry Ralph. Mm -hmm. He has no, uh, if it's about hunting in Africa, I'm sure he is top man of his game. But when it comes to social matters and affection and relationships, he just is probably a dud. I know. I know. It's really crazy. He just resigns himself to just being near her and not making any any moves or anything. I'll tell you something I missed. And I kind of was irritated that I missed it. I guess it was really just, I don't know how I missed it. I did not know that Roger had spoken to a dictaphone salesman. I don't remember when that happened. At the end, I was like, what are you talking about? I don't remember that happening at all. Somewhere in there, Parker mentions it. Well, it slipped past the me butler. for sure. It was one of those moments where I was not tuned in to what I was reading, I guess. Because at the end, I was like, okay, well, had I known there was a dictaphone being delivered, I probably would have been... One of those subtle things that she just kind of slipped in there. She's really good for that. I'll be reading. It's like, I, I know that, okay, this person, and I'm listening and I'm thinking, I'm using my little gray cells. I think I'm using my little gray cells to try to figure out what's going on. And then I get to the end, it's like... Son of a biscuit, I didn't catch that. I missed it again. But now I'm very irritating when I watch movies because mm -hmm. I'm already doing the red herrings and oh, she just said that. That can't be true. And I, my kids say I irritate them to no end because I ask <laughs> I ask questions and, I, and I'm sitting there doing that. They're like, just watch the movie. It's like, I can't, I can't. It's ingrained in my thing, to, in my system, in my little gray cells to ask it, questions am, and to point out things. I totally get that, but I... I am completely asked to not talk. <laughs> Me too. My kids so, just, I irritate the pure snot out of them when I when so we I'm, watch a movie. Yep. I don't know what else to say about that. I have, I mean, I need to be around people who like to shout out things in the movies, I guess. Well, we need to start watching movies together because we'll, <laughs> we'll be fine. Paul, Paul is accepting. He has, he has accepted his fate in marrying me and having to live with me. But my kids give me no ground for this whatsoever. As soon as it's like, oh my God, here she goes again. My kids watch the movie. Oh my God. That's so funny. This is how your mom is. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I, I sympathize, empathize with you, I guess, because I'm in that boat a lot of times. I just resign myself to just sit back and uh, giggle to myself or know things. It's all cool. I'm okay with it. <laughs> Yep. That's just life. I will say that uh, I did enjoy this month of mysteries. I delved more into um, mystery fiction than I have probably ever. I will say that uh, Shepard's biggest flaw was the McMaster rules of having a solid alibi. He was not able to carry that off very well. He mm -hmm. left time lapses. At 10 minutes. And, at 10 minutes. And even though he tried, he changed shoes and clothes and whatever. He ran around like a chicken with his head cut off, I guess, to try to, and he locked the room from the inside of the door. So it looked like a closed room. He tried to make sure everything, all those perfect tropes were there. But in my opinion, it's okay. By the master's guide, he did not succeed. So farewell, Shepard. Farewell, Dr. <laughs> Shepard. <laughs> Will you read another Agatha Christie? I will probably look into a couple more. I know there's just so many and I I, I am intrigued by her life. I would read a biography about her probably before I'd read another book about her. I did like, seems like I've seen a play and I think it was Mousetrap, but I think it was called something else on a t on the TV. It was a movie that was like a play. I can't remember what it was. Body Double there or so something, many. something like that. Yes. Oh, I learned about her and actually I knew about because I had watched Doctor Who. I know most about Agatha Christie is 
from watching Doctor Who. But he had done a, a bit about her and where she went when she was missing. So there was a real time in her life where she was missing. Do you know about this? I do. So what had happened in her life was that her first husband, he had cheated on her and she found out in a kind of public way. And it was very upsetting to her. And also at the time, her mother had passed away, which was also very upsetting to her. And so she went missing. Her car was in a in a lake with the lights on her luggage was in there she was nowhere to be found like even Sir Arthur Conan Doyle kind of went out looking for her and mm-hmm. tried to figure out where she was they were basically I was excited about this because she was like I know how to, to look like a missing person like maybe somebody murdered me <laughs> you shouldn't be doing you shouldn't be cheating on me you know there was rumors whether she, you know, she was found under an assumed name in a hotel. It was just so strange. And there was like, did she have a nervous breakdown? I think she was trying to push his buttons and scare the bejesus out of him and his girlfriend. Or did she, you know, was she had amnesia? It was like a mystery at that time in real life. I don't know. I just thought that was very interesting. I read The Christie Affair by Nina de Gramont. And okay. that was a really interesting take on what she did those 11 days. Very, very interesting interesting. It was well worth reading if you're interested. It's the, the Christie Affair. affair. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I'm going to read that. Okay. <laughs> I'll probably read that before I read another one of her actual books. But I, her life is interesting. And she is so interesting. She was, um, you know, honored by the queen. She was a dame. And mm-hmm. she's amazing. She was, she's amazing. I agree. She had a great sense of humor and it comes across in the the character studies that she does. Uh, Because obviously, you know, she's picking up these character traits from people she knows or that she's seen or you would assume because they're funny. And and it just is indicative of the time and and the lifestyle. I think some of the one of the reasons from this particular reading, one of the reasons I can see that this would hold true today is because the ills that are plaguing these people, drugs, suicide, money problems, blackmailing, Mm -hmm. all of those are just still the things that plague us today. I mean, the drug use that was going on at the time and and the way they portrayed Americans as (laughs) cocaine snow Snow. people, it was kind of funny. I was like, dang. (laughs) You don't expect our ills to be ills that have been around for a while, I guess. It's like new to us. They're just part of us, but it's not. It's been around forever. It's important to keep that focus. That's why history is important, Mm -hmm. people. (laughs) There's a really good book about, it's called I Am Murdered. It's by George White, who is from Williamsburg, and he was Thomas uh Jefferson's mentor. And it's, it talks about Norfolk. It talks about the, the Williamsburg and, and our area. And when I was reading it, I was fascinated because it's the same stuff happening then that's happening now in colonial times. It's no different. And it was a very fascinating study of the place because this actually happened. It's a great read. I recommend that one as well. I mean, a real murder link, mystery. Definitely link that I so will. I can have a, have a reference to where I can find it. So those are two great reads for me now. I like mm-hmm. that. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, we could talk about Agatha Christie and and murder mysteries all day. I know I could because I watch them all the time and I read them all the time. But we figure you have something better to do. Yes, maybe. go. um, I'm going to go plant some sunflower seeds. I think you're going to do some of the same. I'm going to. I might wash my car. Planting some bricks. And by that, she means she's putting a pathway in. That's not going on anybody's skull or anything. (laughs) 
There's a red herring for you, people. That's right. Yes. I'm going right, to call we'll, and check on Paul later today. Well, we will be back next week. Same tea time, same tea channel. And it will be April. So we'll be starting something different. I know. <laughs> we don't know follow, us, follow us on Instagram to find out because we're going to get our stuff together and we're going to we're going to put it out there so you'll know what's coming in April in case you want to yeah. read ahead. That's and you right. Can always, always comment. We'd love to hear your comments. If you've read the story, if you want to read the story or what you thought about it or what you think yeah. about us. <laughs> Please, we can take it. <laughs> Maybe. That's the nice right. thing about podcasts. They won't they won't see us crying <laughs> after we read the comments. <laughs> it's okay. It'll be uh, cool. Yeah. It'll we're be fine. We All tough right. girls. We All, are. Right. All right. We'll see you next time. You can find us on Instagram at the perfect blend underscore SC. Our Facebook page, The Perfect Blend. Our website, the hyphen perfect hyphen blend.com. And of course, all of your usual podcast channels. Until next time, read and sip on. <laughs>